lecture twelve part three of christian patience by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture twelve on the cheerfulness of patience part three cheerfulness is the beauty of patience the play of freedom the radiation of charity the glow of spiritual health it is an emanation from the gifts and the fruits of the holy ghost and a certain sign of the happy order of the virtues braced into the love of god by peace-giving patience the cheerful spirit this joy of devotedness completes and perfects our acts in the service of god and of our neighbours it crowns our good deeds and without it they are without their best ornament when our good acts are accompanied with reluctance or constraint they lose their freedom power and influence because they are mingled with pain and sadness it is said in the ethics which gives us the voice of nature that the generous man who expends his gifts joyfully does a noble action whereas he who gives reluctantly and with regret does an unworthy deed holy scripture proclaims that to serve god with joy and gladness makes our service acceptable it was said to the israelites because thou didst not serve the lord thy god with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things thou shalt serve thy enemy whom the lord will send upon thee in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the want of all things deuteronomy chapter twenty eight verses forty seven and forty eight this was their punishment for not serving god gratefully but grudgingly the sacred psalmist exhorts us serve ye the lord with gladness psalm ninety nine verse two and he gives it as the blessing of the hopeful let all them be glad who hope in thee they shall rejoice for ever and thou shalt dwell in them psalm five verse twelve if the old testament abounds in exhortations to serve god with cheerfulness and with joy the new testament is even yet more instant in exhorting us to be cheerful and thankful under sufferings and trials whoever suffered more than st paul yet he tells the corinthians i exceedingly abound in joy in all our tribulations two corinthians chapter seven verse four in which of his epistles does he not proclaim his joy amidst his sufferings profoundly conscious that they bound him to the cross of christ and the love of god st peter gives a sublime reason for this joy in suffering if you partake of the sufferings of christ rejoice that when his glory shall be revealed you also may be glad with exceeding joy one peter chapter four verse thirteen but the most touching instruction is that of our blessed lord after his last supper he tells his disciples that he is going to leave them he describes all the sufferings that will come upon them after his departure he then says to them peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth do i give unto you 
let not your heart be troubled nor let it be afraid and after exhorting them to abide in him and in his love he says to them these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be filled st john chapter fifteen verse eleven how joy meets suffering on the ground of patience st augustine will explain expounding the text of the psalm my bone is not hidden from thee which thou hast made in secret he asks what is this bone that is known to god but hidden from man it is a certain interior firmness and fortitude that is not easily broken down whatever troubles whatever trials or adversities come upon us god has made a firmness within us that neither yields nor breaks under them this firmness is a certain patience that god forms within us and of which the psalmist says shall not my soul be subject to god for from him is my patience the apostle had this firmness sorrowful as it were yet always rejoicing the persecutors strove their best to make the martyrs miserable and judging them by their own weakness they thought them miserable to the eyes of men they seemed in a miserable plight but within themselves they rejoiced in god to whom the bone was not hidden that he had made for them the man born blind has no sense of colours the man born deaf has no knowledge of the sound of the human voice the fishes that live in the waters have no experience of fire the body has eyes but they cannot see the soul man without the grace and virtue of patient charity can form no true conception how peace and joy can coexist with great pain and suffering it is not sensually but spiritually examined but in the case supposed this union of joy with suffering is not in the soul to be examined nor in the spiritual power there by which it can be examined the gifts of the holy ghost give the joy and the power to feel the joy where god acts and the soul acts with god human weakness is not the point for consideration but divine strength and the grace of patient charity is stronger than all suffering hence a saint felicitous could cheerfully encourage her seven sons to look up to heaven where jesus christ expected them to be faithful in their love and suffer bravely for their souls with joy she saw them expire in torments one after another and then followed them on their ensanguined path to heaven a saint agnes so young and tender surveyed the cruel fire and the instruments of torture with a cheerful countenance expressed her joy at the spectacle and still more at the sight of her barbarous executioner and went more cheerfully to her sufferings than other maidens to their bridles a saint lawrence could playfully jest with his executioners in the midst of his cruel torments a sir thomas more could calmly use his gentle wit at the moment of laying his head upon the block when st tibertius was sentenced to bitter tortures before the death-stroke he said to the judge 
to the christian whose conscience is pure all your torments are but trifles the acts of the holy martyrs and confessors abound in evidence of the consolations that carried them through their sufferings in return for their patient love god gave them the hidden bone of fortitude and the refreshment of his holy spirit and they experienced the truth of the eternal promise he shall cry to me and i will hear him i am with him in tribulation i will deliver him and glorify him psalm ninety verse fifteen but after all our greatest trials are interior those that come from without are open palpable and definable in their causes but those within are often obscure and mysterious they go to the very core of our affections and to the inexperienced they cause anxiety and solicitude owing to the privation of light and of sensible joy yet are they the most important part of the discipline of the soul they correct negligence punish conceit and pride and are very often trials of fidelity they are at all times great instructions in self-knowledge humility and patience under this kind of trial the wants of the soul are keenly felt our nothingness before god is keenly impressed upon us our dependence on god is struck deeply into the conscience and the craving of the heart for god is so much awakened that where patience is truly present self-love which is the greatest enemy to spiritual cheerfulness and joy is in great measure purified from the soul what shall we say to those who are in the first experiences of this kind of trial let them first understand that such trials are not exceptional but common to souls called to greater perfection of life first comes the season of flowering then the season of the hard and unripe fruit and afterwards the mellowing of the fruit into sweetness we first enjoy the beauty and perfume of the blossoms but they must decay before the fruit can come the time of flowering is the novitiate of the soul then comes the hard acid and unripe fruit this is the time of patience and hope of strengthening and maturing but during all this time of patient endurance the hard dry and acid fruit is being strengthened in its virtues increased and ripened by the sun into sweetness and perfection and then we enjoy its matured beauty and nourishing sweetness with delight it is unreasonable to expect the ripe fruit in the time of flowering or in the time of maturing yet we may be cheered with their beauty and their promise and with the hope of greater enjoyment in the future there is no present good of the spiritual kind without the promise of greater good and even of eternal good the trial is the pruning of the tree of its harmful superfluities giving it strength and vigour to be fruitful know that you must pass from the flower to the green fruit of piety and that the fruit must be hardened before it is ripened do not frighten your imagination as if yours were an exceptional and singular case 
your books of instruction will tell you differently look not to your sensibilities as if true piety consisted in them but look well to your will and desires in the winter season of your soul fret not the summer sunshine you are soft and must be hardened it is the season of patience of resignation of waiting of enduring why should not your winter be cheerfully undergone there is nothing to prevent it if by patient love you keep sadness away the great enemy of the soul is not trial but sadness which is the bleeding wound of self-love it takes many shapes and many shades of color all of the darker hues and is often subtle and unperceived in its depressing influence it is fertile of evils chokes a great deal of good resists the operations of divine grace and is the great adversary of cheerfulness it contracts the heart darkens the mind and insinuates the morbid elements of self-love like a virulent poison into the soul shall we call it blood poisoning or soul poisoning it is both it is noxious to the whole spirit of life natural as well as supernatural there are but two remedies for this malignant evil the preventative remedy is in that patience of will that resists its entrance into the soul from the outset and by adhering to god keeps the spirit from descending into the entanglements of self-love but when sadness has arisen has got some hold of the will and already caused some moodiness and trouble the remedy will be in an effort to break through the slimy net in which the spirit has become entangled as the effect of sadness is to close us up within ourselves the short way of deliverance is to break away from oneself and this by some act of kindness and attention to others this will be a reluctant effort at first but with a little effort to overcome reluctance self-conquest and freedom will be quickly gained and it will be discovered with surprise that there was nothing in this contemptible moodiness but pride for self-love was entertaining a resolve to be unhappy and will feel the humiliation of giving up the dark conceit which was nothing but the dregs of self nothing but the bitter consciousness of nature warped to sullenness whilst the effort to be cheerful and kind is in fact the separation of the will from self-love to which it clings like a limpet to a rock not because it is happiness but because it is self yet no humiliation imposed by another could be more severely felt than this tearing away the will from one's morbid self it is like giving up a fortress it looks like something too strong to conquer yet nothing can be weaker all that is required to break the fascinating spell is some little effort of the will and it is amazing how small is the effort required a few kind words a kind act even a kind look though reluctant at first will set the will free and dissolve the gloomy phantoms that have held the soul in bondage then will patient charity recover her ascendancy and will open first the green bud 
and then the bright flower of cheerfulness giving graciousness and beauty to the virtues let us conclude these instructions the heart is the centre of our corporal life from which every member of the body receives its renovation the calm regular and musical time of its pulsations gives us the best assurance we can have that our material frame is in a healthy condition in virtue of those steadfast and constant pulsations every part of the body receives fresh elements of life and rejects what is noxious or destructive of life the will in like manner is the centre of our spiritual nature the spring and fountain of its action hence the scriptures place the heart for the will which is truly the vital principle of the soul the principle of action love and endurance but there is this essential difference between the spring of our material and the spring of our spiritual life that the material heart acts by a fixed law that is independent of the will but the spiritual heart or font of action is the will which is free in its action and formed to work with the supernatural grace of god but among the divine gifts of grace there are two chief principles of power and when the will works faithfully with them they give the soul that perfection of life which prepares her for her final union with god the one is the fervid and generous action of charity the other is the regulating and controlling action of patience this last power is essential for the protection and defence of the first so long as we are in this mortal state of trial and probation not charity alone not patience alone but the charity which is patient prepares the soul for god as the twofold movement of the heart gives the action that renews life and the action which repels what is injurious to life the movement of charity brings life and the movement of patience repels what is injurious to life the charity of the will makes the whole man charitable and holy the patience of the will makes the whole man strong and peaceful the custody of the heart is the custody of the man and this custody of the heart is the work of patience when the will is patient the mind is patient the heart is patient the tongue is patient the hand is patient when the will is patient charity is patient and all the virtues are patient but this implies the exercise of a tranquil violence over our restless and wayward nature of which our lord tells us the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent bear it away st matthew chapter eleven verse twelve what is weak and restless in our nature looks to patience for strength and consistency and we must reign over ourselves before we can enter our saviour's kingdom to the angels the heavens are natural because they are pure spirits but before the heavens can be natural to us a great change must be effected in us yet as st jerome observes he who is created man desires to be an angel the earthly man seeks a heavenly habitation 
heavenly grace must work the change and be woven by the will into our nature through the virtues but this cannot be effected without doing violence to the appetites the passions and irascibilities of our nature which patience accomplishes through the instrumentality of the virtues quelling the disorders that resist the light of god and the operations of his grace and that oppose the free-flowing of celestial charity which prepares us for the atmosphere of heaven and the most delightful vision of god as a last word of encouragement to the cultivators of patience it may be well to point out once more how the closing book of the sacred scriptures ascribes the whole victory of the saints to their patience here says st john is the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of god and the faith of jesus apocalypse chapter fourteen verse twelve from the island of patmos st john salutes us and calls himself our brother and our partner in tribulation in the kingdom and the patience of christ and he makes known to us the visions he has seen and the voices he has heard proclaiming the rewards of them who overcome themselves the world and the evil spirits by their patience the beloved evangelist beholds in a sublime vision the son of god in his glory arrayed as the eternal bishop and pastor of his church and records his words to the churches on earth he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith to the churches to him that overcometh i will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of my god apocalypse chapter two verse seven he that shall overcome shall not be hurt by the second death apocalypse chapter two verse eleven he that overcometh i will give him the hidden manna and will give him a white counter and in the counter a new name written which no man knoweth but he that receiveth it apocalypse chapter two verse seventeen the white counter or hidden manna is the holy eucharist of the glorified body and blood of the lord the white counter is an allusion to the ivory symbol bearing the name of the donor which men of distinction gave to their friends as a claim to their hospitality and it here signifies a claim to the hospitality of christ in his eternal kingdom that which you have hold fast till i come and he that shall overcome and keep my words unto the end i will give him power over the nations apocalypse chapter two verse twenty six he that shall overcome shall thus be clothed in white garments and i will not blot out his name out of the book of life and i will confess his name before my father and before his angels apocalypse chapter three verse five because thou hast kept the word of my patience i also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth behold i come quickly hold fast that which thou hast that no man take away thy crown he that shall overcome 
i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god and he shall go out no more and i will write upon him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which cometh down out of the heaven of my god and my new name apocalypse chapter three verses ten through twelve i counsel thee to buy of me gold fire tried that thou mayest be rich and mayest be clothed in white garments and that the shame of thy nakedness may not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see such as i love i rebuke and chastise be thou zealous therefore and do penance behold i stand at the gate and knock if any man shall hear my voice and open to me the door i will come to him and will sup with him and he with me to him that shall overcome i will give to sit with me on my throne as i also have overcome and am set down with my father in his throne apocalypse chapter three verses eighteen through twenty and he showed me a river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of god and the lamb in the midst of the street thereof and on both sides of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve fruits yielding its fruits every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no curse any more but the throne of god and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads and night shall be no more and they shall not need the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun because the lord god shall enlighten them and they shall reign for ever and ever and he said to me these words are most faithful and true apocalypse chapter twenty two verses one through six behold i come quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to his works apocalypse chapter twenty two verse twelve end of lecture twelve part three end of christian patience by william bernard ullathorne